As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Well, hey, dudes. Hey, dudes. It's episode 201. We never do that. No. Welcome. I know. I think we did it for the Steve Irwin one because that was a big one for us. But Oh, that's true, which was the one just before this now, wasn't it? Yep, sure was. Yeah, so we're back to our regular format, which is murder. (laughs) Murder. Yes, we took a teensy little break for, well, again, if you don't consider the Stingray being a murderer, which I do, but yes, of course. Yeah, I do. All right. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? (laughs) I do want to say that I fought back every urge that I had to sing that Lisa Loeb song, I Do, whenever it's like, I do consider the Stingray to be a murderer. Because I do. You uh, can't hear it, but I do. I was like, what song? But okay, yep. Yep. I guess I didn't know that's what it was called. It's called I Do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense. She says yeah. it a bunch. Yes, yeah, she does. Yeah. That's a good song. It is a good one. Lisa Loeb, man. I know. I love her. I know. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, before we get into today's case, which is a friggin' doozy. Mm. Oh my gosh, the dooziness of get this ready. case. Get yeah. Ready. We just want to remind you guys that we've got a Patreon mm-hmm. and you've got hundreds of episodes that you can download and binge right this very second. Mm-hmm. Got a road trip coming up? You bored? You want more of our bullshit? <laughs> Any of those reasons, head over to the Patreon and join join us in there. Yes. And of course, everything is ad-free in there. Yes. So just yet another reason to join if you want to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And we have kind of a mini, I don't know, show or whatever called the T to the fourth power Y. Time to talk to you from Bring It On. Oh, yeah. But. Or no, it's from, it's from Not Another Teen Movie. Oh, yes, yes. It's the, <laughs> yes, it's the part of Not Another Teen Movie where they're spoofing Bring It On. Yes. Yeah. My bad. It's a cheerocracy. 
But so that's where that name came from, basically. And um, because, I mean, anything we say on this show, we did not come up with. First off, no. We're paying homage to shit we've heard throughout the years. But we started that as a $10 and up tier thing mm-hmm. on Patreon. But now, just if you join, you get it. Even $3 a month. Because huh. why not? You know, like we want to hang out with you guys. So it's our place where we just really let our hair down or our wigs down, whatever. I don't know what Tori's doing that day. <laughs> And we just get personal and we just talk about bullshit. It's not true crime. We don't cover cases. It's just us talking about life, our week, whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of personal memories in there. So anyway, if you want to hang out and hear all the behind the scenes shit, you know, check yeah. it out. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess we can't go any further without mentioning the Spotify green room that we have. Totally. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's Tuesday nights. It's part of a true crime lineup that Spotify Green Room has put together. We are at 8 p.m. Central Time yeah. on Tuesday nights, and we do cover crime there, but it's a good chance for everyone who wishes to. You can either comment and we can kind of chat with you that way, or if you want to request to speak, you can actually get up and speak with us. There's no video included, it's just us kind of gabbing about. True crime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can gab with you. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough of the business. Yeah. And I do want to thank Torella. Oh, our very own Torella for writing this one up. Oh, my God. Thank you. I know. Uh, yeah. Back to my, back to my roots, eh? Yep. Blame it all on your roots. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, though, I do want to point out that this is the first and last time that I will ever thank her for anything. So. Bitch. Well, at least you thanked me. I'll take it. Yep. Okay, you guys. This case is freaking, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, yes. I heard it and I was like, we have to cover that. Because it's just, it's just so tragic and just, I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's twisty turny. Oh, yeah. All right. So, our story today begins on Saturday, June 10th, 1995 in Fountain Valley, California. And this is located in Orange County. Fountain Valley is an upper middle class community. It is meticulously planned out. It reminds me of like the Truman Show or like something out of the Stepford Wives. Every street is planned like to the nth degree, you know? Or maybe even a little Edward Scissorhands. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The suburbs there, they're, everything is like cookie cutter. Yes. Everything is, yeah, just yeah. in its little place. And everything, like, really looks alike. And they actually, like, kind of make a joke that the police say, if, like, you go out drinking one night, you better make sure that you're actually in the right house when you come home because they all, all the houses look so similar <laughs> that you could easily just, like, walk into somebody else's front door by accident. That's insane. And that happens. That shit happens. Yeah. Yeah, it does. The welcome sign of the, you know, town as you're entering says, Fountain Valley, a nice place to live. So. Fountain Valley. You'll like it here. Exactly. Like, it's fine. Check it out. It's fine. (laughs) What? Check it out. So, you know, there you have it. In 2010, the population of Fountain Valley was 55,313. The crime rate in 2019 was 127, which according to citydata.com is 2.1 times smaller than the U.S. average. Coincidentally, it's reported the crime rate was also about 127 in 2005 when this murder takes place. 
The rates have risen and fallen over the years, but they've stayed lower than the U.S. average for the most part. And people who live in Fountain Valley would describe it as a very safe place to live. Al and Jane Carver had found their happily ever after in Fountain Valley. I think they were married in 1973. There's not a whole lot of information out there, but based on like articles that I read and one of them talked about their, you know, wedding anniversary and what year it was. And I did some good old minusing (laughs) and I came up with 1973, I believe. You got out your abacus and you you did all. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I waited for the sun and all the things. So Al was the director of operations at a healthcare company, and Jane had been a flight attendant for United Airlines. The couple had two sons, Cliff and Justin. So Cliff was 20 at the time of Jane's murder, and Justin was just 14. Not much is known about the couple's marriage, but friends and family report that Jane and Al had a loving and happy marriage, and their kids say the same thing. Everything was great. Their son Justin said that they kind of balanced each other out, Jane was more adventurous, and he said his dad was kind of more on that, like, conservative and cautious end of the spectrum. So it's a little opposite the tract. A little bit, yeah. Jane had, and she went by Janie. Like, everybody, her friends and family called her Janie. So Janie had several close friends who lived in the area, and by all accounts, she had a strong support system of people to, you know, like, do life with. So, like, They all had kids kind of close in age. They did things together as families. It was just kind of like that, you know, it takes a village. They all hung out together. Sounded really nice. Mm -hmm. Her boys describe her as an absolutely wonderful mother. They said that she was super spontaneous. Their oldest son, Cliff, told Oxygen in The Real Murders of Orange County that if they were studying state capitals and she had a trip for work to Washington, D.C., she'd tell them like, oh, we're skipping school today. I'm just going to show you the real thing and like take them on the flight with her, you know, because she'd travel. She was a flight attendant, so she was traveling for work anyway. So she's flying to a city. She'd be like, okay, well, we'll just hop off and like spend the day there or whatever. And it was set like she was kind of like that fly by the seat of your pants kind of person when it came to travel. <laughs> like Justin was like, you know, it stuff didn't have to be super well planned out. She was really comfortable with traveling. She enjoyed traveling. So it was something that didn't stress her to the nth degree when we were going somewhere. She was just very like, roll with it. Let's just see where this trip takes us kind of thing. Hmm. That is not my journey. (laughs) No. Like, but you also don't do it for a living. So maybe that's part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have to have everything planned out. It like stresses me out so bad. But on June 10th, 1995, the world as the Carvers and, frankly, the residents of Fountain Valley knew it was changed forever. Janie was 46 at the time of her death. She was out for a four-mile jog that morning, which she'd done many, many times before. And her husband, Al, would normally go jogging with her, and he is actually the person that got her into jogging. But on this morning, he had decided to stay home and pay some bills that he had on his to-do list. She also uh, left the family dog, which was a collie, at home for this run. And so sometimes she would bring the dog with her. But this time she goes completely alone. Shortly after 8 a.m., she's returning home from her morning jog at nearby Mile Square Regional Park. She just made it to the intersection of Warner Avenue and Mount Marcus Street. And this is literally yards away from her house. And it's directly across the street from Fountain Valley Regional Hospital and Medical Center. 
she is approached by a man who tried to get her into his car. And when she refused, he shot her in the face. Mm. Just point blank. Yeah. No questions, no warning, just shoots her in the face. And wasn't it like directly below her left eye? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's horrific. And there, okay, so it's across the street from the hospital. Yeah. Like there are people out there and it's a busy street. Like it's a well-traveled street as well. And there were witnesses and they said he did, like you said, he didn't say anything to her. They heard her say, no, no, please no. And then a gunshot. And some people reported hearing her scream as well but nothing else. No other conversation, nothing. He fired one shot into her face and then he calmly gets into his car and just drives away. Mm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So Al Carver, who was still inside his home, remember he was stayed home to pay bills, he said that he heard sirens coming down the street and he'd actually stepped outside to see like what all the commotion was. He had absolutely no idea that they were coming to his wife, who was at that time fighting for her life. And when he realized it was Jake, because he walks out of his front door, I mean, it's, it's from here to right over there. I mean, it's just like, he can see that that's his wife there. And mm-hmm. he's just like, oh my gosh, he takes off running, sprints to her side. And in an interview with LA Times, the day that Janie was killed, I have some feelings about that. Uh, same. They show up to the house, to the neighborhood, and they Can't, start like, talking let to him people. Live. Yeah. Like, but he said in that interview, I'm just devastated, falling apart right now. Imagine what it's like to see your wife lie dying in a flower bed. I just don't understand anything anymore. And I know that this was the statement. They got it from him the day that she was killed because they released the story the very next day. So. God. And it's it's just so insensitive because they're like, hey, excuse me, sir. Your wife has just died in front of you. How do you feel? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, what do you fucking think? Yeah, probably pretty fucking not good, Larry. Like, yeah. Come how am on. I doing? Not well, bitch. Yeah, like, come on. I just, I don't know. And I read another article that said the family declined to be interviewed at this time. And I'm like, no shit. Like, That's you're trying thing. to talk to their kids who their mom is just murdered? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that they even, like, as pushy as the media is, there's no telling how much they tried to get somebody to speak. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, exactly. Are you sure you don't want to say anything? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Detective said that this was the first homicide of the year in Fountain Valley. And as we've seen many times before, 
these things just don't happen in Fountain Valley, right? It's a safe place to live. We don't have murders here. Nobody could imagine it. They had very little forensic evidence to go off of. The only thing that they were able to collect at the scene was one single bullet casing. But if there is a bit of a silver lining of it, you know, being happening where it did, there were witnesses. So we're able to get statements from them. And and it did, you know, take place in broad daylight. It's a busy street. So they had six witnesses to speak to, and they all gave consistent statements and descriptions of the gunman. So they told detectives that the gunman was a black male. He was small in stature. He was in his 30s, maybe early 40s with a receding hairline. He was wearing a brown or tweed sports coat with a high neck shirt and dark pants. And they described the car as a white 1978 to 1984 model two-door hatchback, possibly a Plymouth Champ or a Dodge Colt. Never heard of either of those cars. Well, and I think if, please don't come for me if I'm wrong about this, but (laughs) probably the reason why you haven't heard about either of those is because they probably don't make them anymore. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. They probably definitely don't. I feel like you're not wrong about that. Yeah. You stand firm in your belief there. No, I I, thank you. And I will. Yeah. I support you. (laughs) Many of the witnesses also told detectives that right after the shooting, the shooter drove through the neighborhood to flee the scene rather than taking the closest major road, which was Warner Avenue. So just put a like a little pin in that. Hmm. So detectives are baffled. They find no immediate clues as to why she might have been gunned down that Saturday morning. As they begin to question the neighbors, friends, and family, nobody is ruled out, right? They have to consider the very dark possibility that Janie's husband, Al, could have had something to do with her murder, especially considering the fact that no motive was clear. She wasn't robbed. I mean, it definitely sounds like hashtag the husband did it, right? You know, there's no robbery. She was shot in the face and only one time. So it's clear that this person wanted her dead. And the fact that Al would normally go jogging with her, but on this particular occasion, he did not. Mm -hmm. That definitely raised some red flags. But it is kind of interesting that it was said that this man asked her to get into the car and she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why would you want her in the car? Yeah, why would you want her in the car? So as detectives begin their difficult investigation, Al is faced, you know, whether or not he has anything to do with it, he still has to tell his children that their mother has been murdered. So Justin had still been asleep in the family home and Cliff was away at college. He was uh, at that time a sophomore at Oregon State University. And Cliff remembers getting the call from his absolutely devastated father. Everybody who talks about Al during this time all say, and even the journalists in the articles I read, He is completely broken. He is completely devastated. Like, he was just a mess. But he said when he got the call from his dad, he was like, I just could not get to the airport fast enough. And Justin recalled the moment he found out just being surreal, like a nightmare, you know, that he couldn't wake up from. And even 20 years later, he still gets emotional talking about that day and finding out, you know, that his mom had died. So sad. Cliff told LA Times about three months after his mother's murder that Janie had recently visited him for a long weekend on campus. And he said they had a great weekend together, you know, just like laughing, talking. And he was really glad to get to spend that one-on-one time with her, which, you know, is rare for kids with siblings. Like you're usually going to have, you know, your sibling there with you if you're with your parents. So 
he just said he was just really grateful for that time with her. And he said that he wished he had, quote, savored, really savored every second. It's just so sad. Like, because you never know when somebody is going to leave your life forever. Yeah. And it sounds like such a sweet weekend anyway. I mean, you know, 1995, it's not like he was on his cell phone the whole time texting and like Googling stuff or whatever. So I'm sure he was very present for it. Mm -hmm. And it's just sad that he looks back on it and is like, I wish I had just, you know, not taken any moments for granted, like paid, you know, paid more attention and just like really honed in on just like how special it was. Well, and you know what it reminds me of? That movie About Time. Oh, yes. Yes. When his dad passes away and he's like, he tells him you live every day twice so you can live it with all of the, you know, headaches and whatever's of the day. And then you go back and you're like, I, I just want to savor every second of this and look at it differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, Cliff talked about how easy it is to take your mom for granted, like all the things that she does to hold a family together and keep things moving smoothly. And, you know, he just like snapped his fingers like in one second, it can be gone. I mean, it's just so pitiful. And Justin said that it made him realize how hard it was. Like, you know, he was like, thinking about all the stuff that his mom did, like now that she's gone, it's really hard for me to find a ride to my friend's house. Like, and she just did all these things and she never complained. And that just, it's such a good mama. I know. Yeah. And he said when he came home after school, like it, it hit him that she had been a companion to him in the afternoons. And now that companionship is gone. You know, he had relied on her for, companionship in the afternoons. It was just him and her in the house and just little things that he had never even realized he relied on her for Mm -hmm. until they were gone. And Cliff's girlfriend at the time even taught Justin how to put sheets on his bed because his mom had always done it for him. He had never learned. It's so sad. I know. And all three of them were just faced with the reality that things would never be the same for any of them again. Their fun-loving, peacemaking, spontaneous Janie would never be coming back. Oh, so sad. No. So let's get back to the investigation. Meanwhile, the police are investigating their only homicide for the year thus far. So probably not going to go super great, right? Ooh. I do have to give it to this police department, though. They really did do everything in their power. And they stayed on this case as much as they could. But you do also, I mean, this is a hard case for any police department to solve because there's so little evidence. and just the facts of the case as they come out, it it is a very, very difficult one to solve. But, you know, if murders aren't happening very often, it's like they're just ill-equipped. Yeah, exactly. So Detective Kim Brown, who was leading the investigation into Jane's murder, told the LA Times that they had information that the shooter had been seen loitering in the neighborhood several times, and this is for days leading up to the murder. So she said, quote, we believe it's a stranger stalker situation. That type of situation is very rare, but it does happen. So the police start to explore the theory that Jane had been stalked, maybe by a stranger or maybe by somebody that she had a secret relationship with. Or could it be that maybe Al was having an affair and the person who killed Janie was trying to get rid of her to have Al all to herself? You know, like, 
We got to look at all the possibilities. Right. Even if they hold no weight, you have to look at everything because you, at this point, just have no idea. And I think that that was a really good stance that they took, even though knowing what I know about the case, you know, we'll get into it. But I think that a lot of times people have blinders on, police departments have blinders on investigators. And so they don't look at all the possibilities, but it is even if it's could be potentially the wrong way to go. I do think that it is important to be like, okay, what all could this be? Yeah, for sure. And if if they're not looking into the family, you know, in a homicide, then they're not thoroughly investigating the case. Like you do have to look at everybody. Well, yeah. And I think that, I mean, it's good to look at them, but I do think that in, in other cases, People have just gotten stuck on, well, the husband did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and again, they vet this and that's not what they do. So I just, you know, you got to give it to them. Yeah. I mean, great job. and you shouldn't have to because that's how it should be. You know, it's like, okay, well, if we don't find evidence, then we need to move on. But right. But know. we know enough to know that that doesn't happen. Exactly. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So when police dive into this lead, the community starts to look at Al as the person who ordered his wife's murder. We know he didn't kill her because witnesses saw the gunman and we knew Al was at home, but they're starting to look at him like, you ordered this. And journalist Jeff Boucher, I guess, I'm not sure how to say it, in the Real Murders of Orange County episode about this case said, there's a fine line between love and hate, but there's an even finer line between marriage and murder. Hmm. Which is like awful, but it's kind of true. It is. Mm -hmm. And Al was very aware during this time period that people were viewing him as a possible murderer. And that's something we always think about in any case that we cover. You know, a lot of times it is true. It ends up being the husband did it. And of course, you have to investigate that possibility every time. But if the husband didn't do it, it has to be like a living nightmare to lose your wife and then have suspicion cast on you by your entire community. And especially like when you need support most, like you need people to help carry you through this. And now you've got people looking at you like, "Uh," you know, I don't, the community still did help a lot with like flyers and stuff that we'll talk about. But, you know, there had to have been some people that were like, well, I think he did it. I'm not going to help him. Right. Police were able to clear Al through questioning, though. Um, They investigated every lead down. They had him do a polygraph. He passed it with flying colors. They said that Al was an open book and he was never anything but cooperative. They had absolutely no concerns about him. So first lead, dead end. 
Jane's friends and family are not ones to sit idly by while the police are doing all the work. So we know the witnesses had given a description of the car and the shooter, and they, uh, the police had a composite drawing made. There, there's also a YouTube thing on this case, and the guy pronounced it composite every time. <laughs> there's a composite drawing. I'm like, composite. I'm sure you can pronounce it that way. It's just, that's not how we pronounce it. So I thought it was funny. It is funny. But they took that information from the composite drawing and the description of the car, and they printed thousands of flyers and plastered them all over Orange County. There was a $25,000 reward offered for information, and 10000 of that was actually given by United Airlines, which is where Jane had worked before her death. And the volunteers visited literally every single business in the area to pass out flyers for weeks, months even, they did this. I mean, they would go everywhere and just hand out flyers and just hoping that somebody would be like, I recognize that person. I recognize that car, like something. And then that reward ended up going all the way up to $45,000. Wow. Al said in an interview with local news that the support of the community was what was keeping him going. And, you know, they spent months on this. Just, it was literally like all he and Cliff and Justin did. It was like the thing that kept them waking up in the mornings. And unfortunately, the case still went cold. Nobody in that area recognized anything from these flyers, unfortunately. But then, on April 10th, 1996, there was another shooting in San Clemente, which is a town just south of Fountain Valley. And this one was incredibly similar to Jane Carver's murder. A man named James Wingert was arriving at his business for his workday, and he was shot one time in the face before the shooter fled the scene. Does that sound familiar at all? It kind of does, yeah. I think, bit. I, I think I've heard about something like that happening yeah. just about 20 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly, a little bit. So an investigator on this case had seen the flyers made by the Carver family and was like, I wonder, could they be connected? So leading this investigation is Captain Christine Murray, and I'm also loving that both lead detectives are women. So she's the lead investigator, but she's not investigating a homicide. James Wingert survived being shot in the face. That is so insane. So insane. But there's a reason for it. I mean, he was shot in the face. He was shot kind of in the cheek, and it bounced off of some dental work that he had done. Uh-huh. And it made the bullet fragment. Yeah. So it didn't reach his brain, spinal call, anything like that. I mean, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. And again, there's no robbery, no words. The shooter walks up. He says nothing and just shoots him in the face and leaves. He doesn't try to grab him or anything. This time he just shoots. Mm -hmm. And straight up executions are probably pretty rare everywhere. You know, like I would think ordered hits, you know, are like not the norm necessarily, but especially in Orange County. And these shootings definitely feel like hits. Mm hmm. They're just walking up to people and shooting them in the face one time. I mean, that's like, you know, I want this person dead. Well, and James Wingert, he did the best thing that anybody could do in that situation, even though he's still alive. He just falls on the ground and plays dead. Yes, 100%. the only thing that kept him alive. Yeah. One thing we're going to see in this case is that random remarks, or as Bob Ross would call them, like, you know, happy little accidents— play a huge role in solving these shootings. 
But during the investigation, one of the police officers at the scene in San Clemente said the only other shooting like this, execution style, that he knew of had been 10 months earlier in Fountain Valley and a jogger had been shot in the exact same way. So they're like, huh, we need to uh, pay attention to that, I guess. The noise you just made. Well, we got to pay attention to this. <laughs> Did I do that? I didn't. A little bit. Wow. Yeah. So as James Winger begins his road to recovery, police interview him, and he immediately tells them he knows who wanted him dead. And this is a man named Coleman Allen. So who the fuck is Cole Allen? The short answer is he's a dirty trash can full of poop, but I will elaborate because I could just stop there because he's just yeah, the worst. that's an accurate description of this exactly. piece of shit, but yeah. Cole Allen owned a company called Premium Commercial. And what he did there was, I feel like he would tell you, I help people. Or like, I help. He's a party planner. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, people other than party planners can help people. Okay. Well, I just assume if we're talking about somebody who's helping people, it is specifically a party planner, but okay. Sure, I get it. That is the best way to help somebody. But... I think he would tell you, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking like Lula Ridge vibes. Like we're blessing lives. Like I'm helping small business owners to get their businesses back on the ground when they struggle, you know, financially. But he would loan struggling business owners money at incredibly high interest rates. And this is, you know, so that they can get their businesses like back in the black, keep their doors open. He targeted small business owners. But once he loaned them the money, things got really scary. So in the case of James Wingert, he had required that Wingert get a life insurance policy for three times the amount of the loan and then name him, Cole Allen, the sole beneficiary of that policy. That is insanely terrifying. Yeah, huge red flags. Because what does that imply? If you don't make good on this loan, then your life is worth more than you owe. Exactly, yeah. So like, what reason do we have to keep him alive? He'd make so much more money by having Just, him dead. Yeah, having him wiped out. Yeah. He also made impossible payment demands, though. So anybody that borrowed from him immediately realized, like, I have made a huge mistake by getting into business with this guy. They were painfully aware of the fact that this had quickly become something they couldn't pay back. And now they're just living at the mercy of Cole Allen. I mean, he was just awful. I cannot believe the insane greed that this mm-hmm. man possesses. Or possess, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Exactly. He was running a large-scale loan sharking scheme in which it appeared that he forced clients to take out life insurance policies and then name him or his company as the beneficiary. So they'd bust their ass to meet his payment requirements or else, you know, there'd be consequences. He was always threatening them. And then once they did, or once they die, then he profits again. Mm-hmm. But the police needed to know, okay, is he profiting from their death because they're just like, because once they die of natural causes, he gets a life insurance policy? Or is he having them murdered and collecting early? And that, I mean, at the very least, that's frowned upon. <laughs> you know? Right. That's not cool, man. It's not cool. Okay, so they need to go talk to Cole Allen and get his POV on the whole sitch. Like, what is going on, dude? 
The only problem with that is he actually died a couple days before James Wingert was shot. He had a massive heart attack. Ugh. So, not going to get any answers out of him. Hope he's enjoying hell. I hear it's lovely this time of year. That is so frustrating. Yeah. He, like, found a loophole. <laughs> exactly. Like, he would. He would, like, order a hit and then die before the police can talk to him. Right. Asshole. Ugh. They still get search warrants, though, for his home and his business to see if they can find any records to corroborate James Wingert's statement and get some answers. So Captain Murray contacts the Fountain Valley Police Department, and she asks them to see if Jane or Al Carver might have had some connection to Cole Allen or his business, Premium Commercial. You know, because again, it's like people are like, the only other one I know that's similar to this is the Jane Carver murder. So she's like, oh my gosh, maybe they're connected to this business in some way. Maybe they took out a loan, you know, whatever. But the police dug into it and they could not find anything. There was absolutely no connection between Cole Allen and the Carver family in any way, shape, or form. They'd never borrowed money. They didn't know this guy. They've never had any contact with him, like nothing. Just doesn't make any sense because it's like that's the obvious answer. Exactly. And it's another dead end and another source of disappointment for the family. And Detective Kim Brown, you know, who is the Fountain Valley lead investigator, told the Carvers, like, hang in there, guys. She believed it would be solved. And you can totally understand, you know, they're needing some type of closure. They want to find out exactly who to direct their anger at because they're you know, they're grieving and they're going through all these feelings. And then it's like every time it's like, okay, we, we're getting some information. This might go somewhere. It's a dead end. It doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just so frustrating. And they they really appreciated all the work that the detectives were doing. Like they were like, we trust that they're doing everything that they can. It just sucks that we aren't able to get any answers yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now back to the investigation again. Ten days after James Wingert is shot, Cole Allen's widow gets a very weird phone call. I also would like to know just like how much his widow knew. We never get her name. I I didn't see it in any documents or articles or anything. I think I heard that it was like Sylvia or something. Really? I swear I do, but maybe I'm making it up. I don't know. I watched three things and read a bunch of articles. I never saw her name, but. Okay. Well, I'm not saying that I do better research than you, but maybe it was just a premonition or something. <laughs> you have a gut feeling her name is Yeah, I'm Sylvia. getting a very strong Sylvia vibe from right. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe they did say that and I missed it. I also wouldn't rule that out. But the person who called said that he was the shooter of James Winger, who he believed had died as a result of the shooting. And since he's he's like, I mean, I fulfilled my end of the deal. Okay. So <laughs> I need payment. Because your husband's dead, so you need to pay me. That is so gutsy because you got to either believe, well, I mean, again, greed takes over, but how do you know that Alan's wife is privy to these deals that he's been making? Right. That's what I'm wondering. Like, I wonder how much she knew and how, like... I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if maybe she didn't know a whole lot because she immediately calls the police after this. Well, that's the thing. So it's like, I feel like if she knew about this and was part of it, then maybe she would have just tried to like hush him up. Mm-hmm. 
But she didn't. She calls the police. And she tells them, like, uh, <laughs> this guy just called me and said that he shot this guy and I'm supposed to pay him for it. Like, what is happening? And the caller even gave his name. It's Paul Aline. So this guy is gutsy. Yeah, he is. Because, yeah, what's keeping her from calling the police? And he calls and he's like, hey, girl, it's Paul here. Um, Paul Aline. Paul you Aline. You need me to spell that for you. I can yeah, do that. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you want my date of birth? Like, I'll give you my phone number, my home address. Like, wh- how do you, how do you want to send me this check, first of all? Do you need my bank account number and wire it? Like, whatever right. you need, girl, I'll get it well, for you. In the memo part of the check, just write hitman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that way I know where what the payment is for, of course. Right. For my records, you know. So Paul Aline owned an auto parts store. He had borrowed $30,000 from Cole Allen with a 36% interest rate compounded annually. Jesus. That's big. Mm-hmm. By this point, he's unable to repay this loan. And he's stretched then to the point of breaking. Well, the people that Paul Allen is preying on to take out these loans, they are in financial straits at this point. Yes. And he's like, you can have this money as long as you pay me back $5 billion. Yeah. In the next two months. Like, how? Yeah, exactly. He like, he wants it paid back immediately. The interest rate is so high. Like, like you said, he's just so greedy because if he just continued taking these payments at 36% interest compounded annually, this guy's going to be paying on that shit for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Like you would have, I mean, you shouldn't do this. It's horrible, but you'd have steady money coming in. Right. You don't need to go and kill people. <laughs> like no. there's it's ridiculous. That, sure. Yeah, exactly. Like again, there's another option. Like, come on. And also like, don't, do this to people. Like, it's just awful. But they show James Winger a uh, lineup, six-pack, whatever you want to call it. And he positively identifies Paul Alina as his shooter. He's like, I 100% know that's the person who shot me in the face. So they bring Paul in and he, of course, denies any involvement. No idea about any of this. Never met this guy. Never seen this guy in my life. Never been to San Clemente. Never even been to San Clemente. Yeah. And at this point, he still thinks that James Winger is dead because he doesn't know that he survived this attack. So Captain Murray is like, you know, he didn't die, dude. He survived. And she said that Paul was visibly shaken by this news. He still wasn't like, okay, I did it. But he was visibly shaken up by this. So she's like, okay, well, that tells me something. So now that he knows that this person is alive and has identified him, because before he's just like, you don't have any proof, you know, how do you know? Like, I wasn't there, you know, whatever. But now she's like, well, he's alive and he identified you as the person who shot him. And he's like, uh, okay, well, all right, I got it. He identified me because of my race, specifically that he said, quote, all black guys look the same to an old white dude. And Captain Murray is like, gotcha, bitch. She told him, she's like, hang on. How do you know he's an old white dude? I never gave you a description of this guy. And he's like, "Uh, Uh, are you sure you didn't tell me? She's like, no, I didn't tell you that. I never told you what he looked like. So the only way that you know that this is an old white dude is because you've seen him. And you're telling me you've never been to San Clemente, which is where he lives and works. You've never met him before in your life, 
but you happen to know that he's an old white dude? Well, now, hang on. I had a premonition about Sylvia. Maybe mm-hmm. in his mind's eye, he saw, saw that this guy is an well, old white guy. I'm an advocate for pursuing all the leads. That's what I think. And it's scientifically proven to be a yeah, real admissible thing. admissible in court for sure. You can just know. Yeah, yeah you can just okay, know. Well, all right, so release him. He didn't do it then. Premonition is all he had. Right. For sure. But it totally <laughs> reminds me of that Reno 911 scene where like she pulls the guy over and he's obviously very drunk and he's like, nah, I'm not drunk or whatever. And she's like, you know, having him like walk the line or whatever. And then she's like, you know, do a... He goes on to be like, how about we do a step yeah. bump, step bump bump, pot boo ray, double pirouette. And she's like, wow, you're a really good dancer. And he's like, yeah, nah, and she's I'm like, just drunk. Ah. <laughs> like, ah, you got me. <laughs> it totally reminds me of that because he's like, fuck, I said too much. Busted. So they take <laughs> Paul Aline's photo and they show it to witnesses of Jane Carver's murder. Again, they're in contact with Fountain Valley. And this is in 1995. Fountain Valley would have no GD idea that any of this shit was going on if they weren't in contact with them. And these two police departments were not in a pissing contest. They were not like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, jurisdiction, like whatever. They were like, let's help each other out. What a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful world it would be. Yeah, no. special. So they call Fountain Valley and they're like, dude, show this picture to the witnesses. And they were really, hu- and you know, Detective Murray was like, dude, I knew it was a long shot, but we had to find out. Again, these cases are so similar. If he shot James Winger, maybe he shot Jane Carver. And they show the photo lineup to the witnesses and none of them pick him out. And he did not look like the composite sketch. Oh, excuse me. The oh, right, composite yeah. sketch. Don't mispronounce that. Yeah, he really didn't. He didn't look. No. Yeah, no. So, another dead end. Well, and also a strike against Paul Aline's theory that all people yeah, exactly to, to white people because <laughs> these mm-hmm. yeah I mean and and again I also like I don't know what I would do in a lineup because I know that they're very suggestive you know because we've we've studied cases and wrongful convic- convictions and stuff like that where like if you're shown a lineup a lot of people will will just pick somebody because they think that the person is in it so they think they're supposed to pick somebody. But you got to give it to these witnesses. And they were like, he's not in here. This didn't happen. I mean, everybody just, you know, I mean, you should obviously take murder investigations very seriously. And not that witnesses who mistakenly ID somebody are not taking it seriously. But I do know that some people are kind of afraid to think that they're getting the wrong answer kind of thing, you know, like, well, if they're showing me pictures, he's got to be in here. So I need to pick the one that looks the most like what I remember. Or, you know, the photo mm-hmm. lineups then kind of fill in the blanks in your brain. And then the person in your memory begins to look like somebody in one of these photos because your brain is trying to fill that gap. But they were like, dude, I don't see him. Yeah, I love the conviction. Yeah. Hey, y'all. Did you know that we release an update all about us and what we're up to each week on our Patreon? It's called T to the Fourth Power Y, which is some time to talk to you, a nod to Not Another Teen Movie. And it's where we just gal pal with you about life, what we're watching, our love for Cracker Barrel Italian dressing. I mean, honestly, the sky's the limit. You never know what you're going to get, really. If you want to catch an episode without being a patron, you are in luck. Just head over to killerqueens.link slash 
T-T-T-T-Y, okay, time to talk to you, four T's and a Y, and you'll get to hear a full episode for free. And you can get every single regular release episode ad-free for as little as $3 a month. That's less than half the price of the coffee I get at Starbucks, so. I know, that's crazy. I know, what a deal. Mm-hmm. And for $10 a month, you get all that plus our other two Patreon-exclusive shows, Murder Mixtapes, which is a full bonus case each week. Recent cases are Tara Grinstead, Hannah Cornelius, and New York Body Snatchers, just to name a few. And you also get our other Patreon-exclusive show, Doc Jams, which is where we cover true crime documentaries episode by episode. We've done Don't Fuck With Cats. We've done Crime Scene on Netflix. They have Cecil Hotel and Times Square Killer. We've done The Jinx. We've done so many more. So be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash T-T-T-T-Y to get your free episode and hundreds more episodes to download right now and binge when you become a member of our Patreon community. So Christine Murray at this point is preparing for Paul's trial because we do have evidence on him. And he definitely shot James Wingert. Like, that's a fact. He definitely did. So while she's doing this, she's reading through transcripts of some of the interviews with Paul. And then she sees it. Paul had made a remark at the end of one of the interviews that Cole Allen was pissed at some guy named Leonard Mundy because Leonard had shot the wrong person once. Hmm. Did you notice that, and this is a very, very big part of the case, but I just want a side note here. So many different people called him Monday and then some are like Mr. Monday. Yes, they did. I noticed that too. It's spelled M-U-N-D-Y. So that to I'm me is thinking Monday. Monday. Oh. Oh. Okay, well, I mean, you know, whatever. Well, Southern people pronounce the day Monday as Monday. Yes. Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday. Saturday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. They also print out, well, Miss KB, instead of saying the government, government, he says the government. Oh, yeah. Government. Yeah. But, but yeah. What I don't understand is he made this comment to Murray's partner. When she leaves the room. When she leaves the room. And he does ask a couple follow-up questions. Who's Leonard Monday? He's like, I don't know. Did I just say Monday? I Did can't. I, it was so fast I couldn't hear it. He's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, who did he shoot? That was wrong. I don't know. Who was he supposed to shoot? I don't know. Like, he does ask a few questions. And then he's just like, well, I don't know. Guess can't do anything with it. (laughs) He doesn't tell Christine about this. He doesn't, like, follow up on it after that. (laughs) He doesn't contact Leonard Mundy, look into him at all. He doesn't bring him in for questioning. Well, it seems like he was like, well, we we have our guy. So this is... This is inconsequential. Doesn't matter. Yeah. He's just talking out his ass. Let's move on. Yeah. So like when Christine Murray is going back to the transcript, I mean, at least she found it. But I'm just like, why was that not brought up? Like, yeah. Why did you just like let that go? He's like, well, you didn't say anything about additional information. You just said that you wanted. uh, Yeah. Right. Because she's like. What shooting do I not know about? Who was killed that I don't know about? Who is Leonard Mundy? Like, what's his connection here? Who was Pepe Sylvia? <laughs> exactly. So now she dives into Leonard Mundy because she's a good investigator and his connection to Cole Allen. And she finds out that Leonard Mundy has taken out not one, but two loans from Cole Allen. 
for $40,000 each. And we know that Cole Allen makes it absolutely impossible for people to pay him back. Oh, only one loan is impossible, not two. Exactly. So if you're 80,000 deep with Cole Allen, you know he's at a breaking point. Yeah, you're basically dead. Yeah. So Captain Murray finds a document that lists a residence in Fountain Valley, and the owners are James Wingert and his wife, Margaret, who went by Peggy. And she finds this in Cole Allen's paperwork. So she's still trying to go through the Wingert case and, and figure all this out. But she sees that there's this Fountain Valley residence, and she's like, what's that? So she reaches out to them, and she finds out that they actually lived in Fountain Valley, and they lived there at the time of Jane Carver's murder. Peggy tells Captain Murray that as a part of the business deal between James and Cole Allen, that they'd used that residence as collateral for the loan, but that was without her knowledge, and her signature had been forged on the documents. Jeez. Yeah. So Cole, at this point, because, you know, James Wingard had not finished paying the loan because nobody ever can, so of course he couldn't. Mm -hmm. So at this point in all of the haps with Cole Allen, He's trying to seize this property as repayment for James Wingard's death. And Peggy wasn't having it. I mean, she was like, absolutely not. We own that property. I never signed that over. Like, I didn't agree to this. It's not happening. So she files a civil suit for fraudulent business practices. And this lawsuit was ongoing in June of 1995 when Jane had been killed. And to Cole Allen, the audacity of Peggy Wingard, a woman, to boot, to sue him was enraging. I mean, that was something that he absolutely was not going to put up with. What a... Uh, yeah. Cole Allen. And Peggy was due to testify in court for this lawsuit just three or four days after Jane Carver was murdered. Hmm. Curiouser and curiouser. Mm-hmm. But... They're looking into it, and there are still absolutely no connections between the Carvers and Cole Allen or his business at all. Like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. So Captain Murray is like, all right, I'm going to go check out the Fountain Valley house. She's going to go drive to it, see if she sees anything, like whatever. She wants to go check it out in the Wingert's house in Fountain Valley. But when she was driving there, she accidentally missed the off-ramp that she needed so she ended up taking a different off-ramp, which took her actually in the direction of the Carver home. And these off-ramps are very easily confused. It's literally, it's one exit. And then there's like a sign that you can either go north or south. And it's just, you know, it splits off into two directions. There's literally one here in East Nashville and it is so GD confusing. And then yes. you have to like, okay, now I'm going in this direction. How do I get back to just right over there? Yeah, exactly. It's so it's so easy to just miss one of them. And that's exactly what she does. Well, and this is in 1995 when... Yeah, no Google Maps. Yeah, you don't have a Tom Tom. Come on. Yeah, exactly. No Garmin. Garmin, that's the other one, yeah. So she starts looking, I'm assuming, at a friggin' map. Ew, an actual what's that? map. Yeah. I'm not a cartographer. <laughs> So she's looking at the directions to the Wingard house. So she's like, if you were going to get off the freeway to go to their house and you take the exit or whatever, you're on the right off ramp, you would take the first turn, you'd go past a park, and then the next left after that would take you to the Wingard house. But if you take the wrong exit, like Christine Murray did, 
and you follow those exact same directions. You take the north versus the south or vice versa, whichever one, and you take the first turn and go past a park and take the next left, that you will end up exactly where Jane Carver was shot. That is so eerie. Oh my gosh. Yes, they are. The directions are mirror images of each other and they lived a mile apart from each other. I mean, what are the freaking odds? Exactly. What are the odds? So Murray calls Fountain Valley again and she tells them to show the witnesses another lineup, but this time put Leonard Mundy's photo in it. And this time he is positively identified by all the witnesses as the shooter of Jane Carver. I mean, could you imagine like, Detective Murray busted this wide open. Right? And again, it's like all these little accidents. Mm-hmm. Happy little accidents, right? Exactly. If uh, Paul Aline hadn't mentioned Leonard Mundy in that interview, and then Christine hadn't gone back through and found it because her good-for-nothing partner didn't fucking tell her about it. Right. And then if she didn't go to see the Wingert house and get lost. Exactly. <sighs> Like, I don't know if they ever would have put it together because it's like, it feels like they're connected. There are so many similarities. It's like, how could they not be? But there's no connection. But there's no connection. So it's like, yeah, if they had never, if these little things didn't happen, like she would not have blown it wide open. Mm -hmm. So when Fountain Valley looks into Cole Allen's business documents for their case, they found similar documents to the Wingert case and Paul Aline, you know, all the, um, the life insurance policies and all the stuff. They found that Cole Allen, though, had written off a loan for both Paul Aline and Leonard Mundy, which was something he never did. He collected on his loans. He did not write them off. Yeah, he wasn't just going to be like, you know what? Let's just call, by- let's let bygones be bygones. Exactly. I, you know what? I feel real bad for you. This will be my good deed for the year. Cole Allen doesn't know what a good deed is if it slapped him right in the face and called him Judy. Exactly. Like, that never happened. So he happened to, just so happened to write off the loans, one for $80,000. That's a lot of money mm-hmm. for two people who have now been positively identified in lineups as shooters of two separate people. Mm-mm. And those are the only two people he's ever written off their loans. So Ugh. paint me green and call me a pickle because I'm tired of dealing with this shit. <laughs> I have never heard that. Somebody sent it to me yesterday and I had to use it. Oh my God. Tired of Dylan. That's really, that's good. That sounds like a Kelly almost. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And so these men had been under such immense pressure to get out from under the prospect of financial ruin. And they'd been coerced into murdering for Cole Allen so he could take ownership of this home and then go on to collect James Wingert's life insurance payout. Hmm. I mean, it's awful. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Jane Carver's murder is that she and Peggy Winger looked absolutely nothing alike. They did live a mile away from each other, but Peggy had dark brown hair. Jane had bright blonde hair. Jane was known for jogging. Peggy didn't jog. She walked her dog around the neighborhood, but she literally was never seen jogging. Yeah, I mean, they both frequented the park. Yeah. But, but other than that. Yeah, they don't look anything alike. And the only photo that the police could find of Peggy in Cole Allen's files with like, you know, his Leonard Mundy shit was an old driver's license photo that had been Xeroxed. So it wouldn't have done any good in actual identification anyway. Yeah, has anybody ever seen an old Xeroxed photo? Exactly. Like, it's just completely darked out. It's, you know, black and white anyway, but like, it's grainy as fuck. How can you rely on that when you're taking somebody's life? 
But apparently it didn't matter. I mean, it's just, this is so bizarre. Exactly. So for whatever reason, Leonard Mundy saw Jane jogging and decided this was Peggy Wingert. And with no regard for her life and his only concern being his payout and the forgiveness of his debt, he shot Jane Carver, the wrong person, in the face and then fled the scene. And remember, he fled using those neighborhood roads and not the main road, which is an indicator that he was not familiar with the area. So it would make sense that he had gotten lost, mm-hmm. you know, because he doesn't know where he is. Obviously, but he did that multiple times, though. He literally, he took the wrong exit one time and then was like, this is my exit. Mm-mm. Because he, like, kept going there to stake him out. Right. It's just awful. And obviously, Jane's friends and family are absolutely shocked. Like, it's unbelievable for anybody you love to be murdered for any reason. But the fact that it was a case of mistaken identity, it's just, like, even more senseless. And such a brutal and calculated murder. Like, yes. <sighs> yeah. It's just horrific. So Leonard Mundy was sentenced to life without parole for the murder of Jane Carver. Paul Aline was convicted in the attack of James Wingert and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Not everybody believes that Leonard Mundy could have killed Jane Carver. The mother of his children testified that he was with her at the time that Jane Carver was killed. And she told the court that he was, quote, not the monster, the killer, the murderer that they had made him out to be. He is not Jane Carver's murderer. He's not some piece of trash who takes money to go and kill someone. And she also said, I'm not a liar. I would not get up and defend a murderer. Now, I do think that it takes a special kind of person to be able to be capable of murdering someone for whatever reason. However, I also do think that Leonard Mundy, and hear me out here and I hope everybody understands where I'm coming from. He is a victim to an extent in this too, because he's literally just trying to live his life and get out of the clutches of Cole Allen. It's it's amazing what people will do when faced with, when they're faced with such financial hardships. I mean, right. Yeah, because you've got, he's got kids to take care of. He's got, this is a trickle down effect. If mm-hmm. he if he can't provide for his family anymore, that's immense pressure. Absolutely. And I, I think while obviously it is in, it's completely wrong and awful to do to someone. And I think that you have to pay for what you do, no matter what the circumstances are. I think that sometimes people do things that you wouldn't expect them to do when they are under such incredible financial stress like that. Exactly. So yeah. even though she knows him, and I don't doubt that she does, and I don't doubt that she thinks that, you know, she believes what she's saying, but at the same time, I'm like, you just never know. Yeah, exactly. And one of his friends, Leonard Mundy's friends, Lewis Hudson, told the judge that he was like, you know, the eyewitnesses are standing too far away to identify him as the killer. There's no way that he they could have seen him and known, you know, for sure what he looked like or that it was him. But then he turned to the Carver family and said, the satisfaction you have right now is false. That's inappropriate. Yeah, come on, guy. Like, I understand that you're upset. And again, you don't believe that he could have committed this crime. You want to be mad at the cops. You want to be mad at the judge. Even fine. But don't say something like that to the family. Yeah, don't like, drag in completely innocent people who are just trying to yeah. get some form of closure for their family. Exactly. But Al Carver later said he had no doubt that Mundy killed his wife. But he said the reaction of his family, he's like, I understand it. He said, I believe there was a side of Mundy that they didn't want to see. And 
After the sentencing, Al told reporters outside the courthouse that Mundy, quote, was a hitman, a paid hitman who very coldly walked up to Janie, shot her in the head, and coolly walked away. And Jane's son, uh, Justin, Jane and Al's son, said that he actually feels sorry for Leonard Mundy. He said, you know, and that's the man who murdered his mom. And he's like, I knew that he was in such a tough position. Like, I do feel for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, these are just amazing people. Yeah. Jane's family and friends went on to organize the Run for Janie, which is a marathon that raised over $75,000 that was put into a scholarship fund for students who needed financial help to attend college. And, um, you know, they did it to honor her. And I think that was a really beautiful way to do that. I love that. Again, there's no, there's nothing you can say to make this any better. I mean, it's just tragic and it's terrible. Mistaken identity. And she was shot in the face and murdered. But if anything good can come from it, I think that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, but can you not, when you walk up to somebody and you're going to fucking shoot them in the face, can you be like Peggy Wingert? And she'd be like, uh, no, I'm Jane Carver. And he'd be like, sorry, ma'am. Bye. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, don't shoot Peggy Wingert either. But like, aren't you supposed to take some steps to make sure that you fucking get the right person? Like, my God. Well, yeah. And I would guess, let's say that this went kind of according to plan. Like this happened, same situation happened, but Cole Allen has not passed away from a heart attack. Let's just say that. Do you think that Cole Allen's going to be like, great job. You got the wrong person. Here's your money. Yeah, exactly. Like um, this isn't going to do me any fucking good in court next week, but you know what? You did it. So you shot someone. So here's some money. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to. No. (laughs) The incompetency is astounding. Yeah. And the thing is, usually I'd be glad that a killer is incompetent, but in this case, it doesn't help anyone at all. No. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's just so, and just like how difficult that had to be to solve. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, because that wasn't even an option for them. They weren't like, oh, I'm sure it was a hitman who got the wrong woman. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're never going to just jump to that. I mean, if James Wingert had not been shot, they would still not know who killed James. Right, absolutely. Just crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's the one. That's yeah. the one I did, guys. It's a very intriguing and interesting story. It's sad as hell, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and we'll link, you can see, uh, all the sources that we use down below. And I've also linked to that show, Real Murders of Orange County. It's like a new show, I guess they have out or whatever, but that's it. Yeah. That's it guys. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Oh my God, you guys, you know what time it is. Shout out time. Show dudes. (laughs) Oh, show dudes. Shorts. <laughs> That's it's so bad. It's fun though. It is. No offense. Anyway, we just wanted to say some hey girl thanks to Erica Sinker. I think Elvira. Melody Ortiz. Myla. Alyssa. Deanna Hansen. Kiara Tukes. Taylor Hagman. Julia Zimmerman. Lindsay. Um, she also wrote Lula May. So, hey, girl, thanks. You're totally bugging. Yes, we appreciate you so much. Thank you. And Caleb Knapp. Sydney Tomlinson. Stephanie Persephone. That is so fun. Amber Hibbs. 
Monica Cabezos, Morgan, Melissa Ramirez, Emily Evans May, Carlin Wagner, Ida Silverly, Silverly, Sammy Lynn, Marissa Mays, Angel Sump, Ella McCarthy Cock, Danielle Lowen, and Emily Charleston. Thank you guys so much. We love you guys so much. We could not do this without your help. Thank you. Absolutely. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.